Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. So Father, we thank you today as we look into your word, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, we value your word. We thank you for your word. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. So Father, we look into your word. Father, we thank you that your word is holy. Your word is holy. And so Father, we thank you that you even would allow us to handle your word today that you allow us to handle your holy word. Thank you that you give everyone ears to hear, and we give you all the praise and glory for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're doing this, what we call just, it's not really a series because it doesn't build because every week's different, but we're just answering these questions. Glad you asked. So here's a question that we're going to do our best to answer today, and that is this. I would like to know how to determine what is right or wrong in God's eyes? Could you clarify this from the Bible? So great question, and probably out in the world, uh, more than church, that is a really big question for many people. What is right or wrong uh, in God's eyes? What does he consider? And so the only way that we can find that out, because it's about God and what he considers, we have to look into his word. And so there's opinions out there, and here's some wrong things about uh, when we think about what's really obviously wrong. Here's a few things that are obviously wrong. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his son, that's true, uh, but then so they're all automatically saved. Well, God loved the whole world, he did give a son, but the whole world isn't automatically saved because the Bible says, as many as received him, Those are the ones that became sons of God. So we have to receive the free gift. Then here's another one. The Bible says to love everyone and not to judge. So I could care less what you do. And actually, I do care what you do. uh, And I, I think we should all care what each other does. So even though we love everyone and we don't judge, we love one another so much that we care about each other and and, uh, what, what everyone you know, not to be judgmental, but we care about each other. Then here's another one. If God loves everyone just the way they are, then I can do whatever I feel like doing. And that's not true either. Uh, God loves us the way we are. That's true. But the second part, because he loves us the way we are, he loves us so much that he wants to help us and he wants to change us. So with his great love, uh, we don't have to stay the same. And then here's another one. The Bible is an out-of-date book, which is not in tune with today's society. So I just go along with the popular, popular view on things. Totally false. And, uh, and I, I saw something where even uh, one of the politicians in America that was running back when they had the run for president, and they made something about a comment about the Bible. And, you know, when somebody messes with the Bible, I don't like it about the Bible being outdated and that kind of thing. The Bible will never be outdated. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17. It says this, it says, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, 
the empty-headed, mindless crowd. So that's, a, that's the message translation. That's a straight-shooting translation. It, it's really right there in your face, isn't it? Uh, but here, here's the thing, you know, in the world, and you probably noticed this, the majority is usually wrong, and the minority is usually right. It's, it's kind of sad, but you'll find out that, you know, the majority of people really, like, are clueless, but then there's always the minority, and the minority seems like it actually serves the majority a lot of times. And you'll find that, the minority serving the majority. So just because there's a big crowd of people that come, they come up with a bunch of beliefs that they think they know what's true, right or wrong, it doesn't mean they're right at all. And the majority of the time, they're wrong. <clears throat> so we want to look into this today, and we want to answer the question, what right and wrong is. So here's uh, how we're going to have to do this if we're going to come up with some answers. We're going to have to, like, establish a standard of truth because you never will know what really is right or wrong without a standard of truth. And so how can we do that? Well, you know, there's so many questions. Like when Jesus was on the earth, Pilate said this in John 18. He said, what is truth? So think about that. Jesus was standing right in front of Pilate, and Jesus is truth. And with truth standing right in front of Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? Well, you know, we surely would not ever want to be like Pilate, where truth is right in our face, and we don't recognize it. But one, you know, some, sometimes people don't recognize truth because they don't care. They don't value truth. And so the only way that you can really recognize truth is you have to, you know, care. It has, it has to be something valuable to you, okay? So truth is really, it's the key to knowing what's right and wrong. If you want to know what's right and wrong, you'll have to have some truth. And not truth, you know, about football. And there's truth, there's a lot of different truth. There's, there's truth for footy. Now, I grew up in the States, so I know, I know all the rules for gridiron. I follow grid. I don't know baseball rules because I don't really follow it. And I didn't really follow basketball enough to know all the rules. But I followed gridiron, so I know the rules. But then when I watch footy in Australia, I still need help from my friends here. Like, I, I don't understand all the rules. So there's rules like that. But those rules do not really help us live life. But the rules that we could say are the truth that we could say that helps us live life is the truth that comes from God. So the definition of truth, uh, here's a simple definition. It's a verified or indisputable fact. So when we talk about truth, you know, verified, you just can't dispute it. Th what, what you said right there is true. It can't be disputed. So, you know, there's truth in the realm of medicine, in the realm of law, like lawyers. Uh, there's all, in the business world, there's all these kind of truths. And they prove them, and they work, and they produce in those realms or arenas. Well, the same is true with Christianity. There's truth in Christianity. And when you really get hold of the truth, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so just like there's truth with law, I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on now about the Constitution of different countries, and, you know, what's the Constitution say? Well, if the Constitution has been written, it's been signed and agreed upon, that's truth for that country. And as much as that will cause that country 
to have their boundaries or guidelines and help that country be who they are. The same thing is true for the kingdom of God. If Jesus said it in this truth, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. So as much as a constitution is valued for a nation, so the truth should be valued in the kingdom of God. Okay, so even growing up, I, I mean, I saw this amongst us as brothers, you know, if there isn't a standard of truth between us brothers, one brother might think, one thing is okay to do and the other brother might think it's not okay to do so growing up my brother joe and mike they were both younger than me and they were like between the two gangsters crooks uh and and they were drug pushers like, like my brother mike sold drugs my brother joe they were both kind of gangsters and my brother joe was a crook he stole things and sold them on the black market you know and they didn't think anything was wrong with that we weren't christians growing up but then my brother, and then, you know, as you know, if you heard me say that I was not a crook, I didn't really want to steal anything, and I didn't want to push drugs, I didn't want to do that stuff, and I wasn't a gangster. But I was just Mr. Discotheque. <laughs> and I just went, my, my week was just waiting for the weekend to go to the disco. You know, really a deep person, wasn't I? And, uh, and so, you know, I didn't think anything was wrong with that. You know, all the money I wasted and all the times you wake up the next morning thinking, I wish I would have went to bed earlier and why did I do that? You know, it was all, and thank God for Jesus that he, I got delivered out of all that. But then my oldest brother, Jim, he was married and he stayed at home most of the time. So when we became Christians, we began to share Jesus with him and his comment was, you need Jesus because you were so bad. I don't need Jesus because I don't do anything like you. And I said, Jim, and you've heard me say this before, I know that you have Playboy magazines stuffed between your mattress. And so don't tell me how perfect you are. You need Jesus too. But here, here's, here's the thing. It isn't even based upon one thing we do wrong. It's more than just one thing you do wrong. We need Jesus, even the, the best person that doesn't know Jesus, the best behaved person that doesn't know him as Lord still needs him regardless, okay? But just having that standard of truth, one person thinks this is right, one person thinks that's wrong, etc. those kind of things. So without a standard of godly truth, we're not able to distinguish between right and wrong. It's not possible. You have to have the standard. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, here's a little history on, on some things that happen. In Genesis 2 and verse number 17, it says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so when this happened, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they ate that, they died spiritually, but then the result of them dying spiritually as we go forward to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the whole human race now is dead spiritually and they have fallen. And so it says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And so what we see there as when there was spiritual death and there wasn't any standard of truth 
and people uh, were not, they did not have the life of God in them, they, it, evil just, it just ran rampant. It was out of control. So we know what happened, that there was a flood. That's why God, Noah, found favor in God's eyes. And so Noah and his wife and family, they built an ark and they were saved. And then it was like a brand new start. So we know that. So after there was the brand new start down the road, then what happened is God gave the law. And so the law that God gave back in the Old Testament, if you're new to the church and you uh, you know, haven't heard of the law, we have the Old Testament. That's the Bible that was written before Jesus came, the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. That's the Bible that was written after Jesus came, the Old and the New. In the Old Testament, God gave the law. And the law was really God's standard of what right and wrong is. So uh, it, it's wrong for us because we're under grace. It's not correct for us. And if I ever did it, it was by accident to ever make the law look as if it's evil. The law isn't evil because it's a recording of what God says is right and wrong. So the law is actually good. There's actually a verse in the Bible that says the law is good. And the law was actually given to lead us to Christ. The Bible says it's a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. In other words, the law proved to humanity that they weren't good enough to save themselves and they needed a savior. So the law led everyone to Christ. They realized we can't save ourselves. So the law is good and there isn't anything wrong with the law. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a, in a few minutes. So the, the human race then after the fall, they did not have a relationship with God. They no longer had God's standard of right and wrong. And instead, they became their own standard. They became their own standard of what right and wrong is. And then here's what you have in Deuteronomy. When something like that happens, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 8, it says, you sh shall do not according to that what we are doing here today. Look at this, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And so you see that without a standard of right and wrong, what happens is everyone does what is right in their own eyes, and that happened before the flood. It's chaotic, it's out of order, and, uh, and of course, thank God that we're not in a situation like that now in the world, but outside these four walls, if you haven't noticed the the right and wrong and the difference between them has been very clouded and watery and now there isn't a black and white it's kind of gray what's right or what's wrong so when things get gray and when things get cloudy concerning right and wrong we have a standard of truth that makes it clear black and white this is right and that's wrong thank god that we have that standard so here's what we want to say today to help answer the question, and that is how truth comes, because the standard of truth is the key. So how truth comes, there's like a few things we're going to look at today on how it comes. Uh, we're going to see Jesus. He brought truth. Then we're going to talk about the new birth, because when you get saved, you have right and wrong 
come on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit uh, is our teacher of truth. God's love, it, his love in itself gives us much truth. And then our conscience. So we're going to just real briefly look at those today. Can't spend a lot of time on them. Uh, before we look at those things, you might have noticed that I didn't say anything about God's word. And so the reason is, is because it's, in, it's really a factor in all of those. And so just to make sure we don't ignore it, here's the scripture, John chapter 17 and verse 17. It says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus was right before Pilate, and Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus was truth, standing right there. And not only is Jesus truth, every word that Jesus said is truth. So his word is the standard of truth. And in order to know what right and wrong is, we have to have the standard to know that. So let's just say a few things about Jesus. This scripture here uh, says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So what we see here is the law, this doesn't imply that the law did not contain truth. The law did contain a lot of truth. But what this tells us now is Jesus came, in a sense, he came with grace and truth. So the law did not include the grace part. The law was all the do's and don'ts. Now Jesus came and he brought grace and truth. And the truth he bought, brought was, like the Bible says, that we have a, a new covenant. And our covenant is better than the old covenant. So Jesus brought the truth of the new covenant to us, which is a better covenant than the old covenant, okay? So with that in mind, let's say a few things. If you ever wonder what's right and wrong, we're just saying, how do you know what's right and wrong? You can actually go back to the law, and you can look at the law, and you find out what's right and wrong in God's eyes. And you might say, well, isn't the law legalistic? And well, let me just say a few things. The law is God's standard. He says, do not steal, do not kill, do not do this, do not. So everything the law says not to do, that's what God considers wrong. So the law isn't ugly or bad. It's like God's standard. So how does it fit in with grace? And we'll say that soon. Uh, how do, you know, because if you can go back to the law and find out what's right and wrong, does that bring you into legalism or anything like that? Well, it's God's standard of what he thinks is right and wrong. So the Ten Commandments, those are all true today, but, but we're under grace. So how, do we, how, do, you know, how does that all work together? How can we understand it without getting into bondage, coming under guilt, condemnation, or getting into legalism? How do we, how do we put all, all that together? So, you know, we're under grace, so here's, here's how we can think about that. The law is God's standard of what's right and wrong, so what's different about everything under grace? Here's the difference. In the Old Testament, if somebody broke the law, they paid the price. The penalty for breaking the law came on that person, and they paid sometimes a severe price for breaking the law. Whereas in the new testament the penalty of sin for breaking the law has all been placed on jesus so we no longer pay the severe penalty of breaking the law 
So the law is still God's standard of what right and wrong is, and when we don't do those things in there, Jesus already paid the penalty, and we don't have to pay this, that, that penalty. Now, of course, we say this all the time. Does that mean we can just do anything we want? No, it doesn't mean that. The Bible says that sin will not have dominion over you because you're under grace and not the law. So being under grace actually empowers us to be overcomers. Okay, so, so it doesn't mean it's like a, a free pass to just be lascivious and do anything we want. Okay, so w- with all this in mind, here's just a real practical example, you know, concerning all this. In the Old Testament, you know, with right and wrong, if you did something wrong, this is actually a scripture, if you haven't read it, this scripture is in the book of Exodus, if, in case you don't know, uh, 23 and 24, verse chapter 21, 23 and 24, I didn't put it up on the screen today, but here's, it says, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, that's kind of really severe. So like if you did something wrong in the Old Testament under the law, it was a life for a life, a tooth for a tooth, a, uh, an eye for an eye. That's under Old Testament. So it was truth back then, okay? Now in the New Testament, Jesus, they were gonna stone a lady and Jesus comes up on the situation And he says, you, without sin, throw the first stone. And of course, everyone there had sin, so they all walked away eventually. No one threw the stone at her. They did not stone the lady. And then Jesus told the lady, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. So you begin seeing now the difference between the old and the new. The penalty of sin has been placed on Jesus and we no longer have that penalty of sin. So with with that in mind now, as we're talking about truth, and it's the standard and how important truth is to know what right and wrong is, here's something interesting that I found. uh, Many years ago, there was a serial killer in America. He was called the Green River Killer, and he killed something like 43 ladies. And so he went to court, they got him, and after his conviction of being guilty, the court did something different. They allowed the the victims, the families of the victims, to unleash on him. So I I cut a lot of it out. We're going to look at a video here in a minute. I only let put two of the ladies, two of the people in there that were unleashing. I had to go like skip over a number of minutes, but they, everyone was just telling him how they, you know, what you killed one, you know, and then there's a man that said something different, and we'll see it, but here's the interesting thing, when all the people were unleashing on him and telling him what they hoped happened to him, his face was cold, like a stone cold face, nothing, but then when the man did something different, was amazing. Let's let's take a look at it. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's gonna go to hell and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him 
with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and that is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. Those tears and a statement he made to the court later that day were as close to showing real remorse as Gary Ridgway had ever come. I'm sorry for killing these ladies. They had their whole lives ahead of themselves, ahead of them. I'm sorry for causing so much pain to so many families. To me, this was all. So that's just a clip. But do you see the man with the beard? Robert Rule was his name. He had a standard of truth in his life, and he knew what right and wrong was. So as all the other ones just unlit, unleashed on him, like telling him the worst thing, and he knew it. If you notice his face when the one guy said, you're going to go to hell, and you notice he just kind of blinked his eyes because he probably thought, I know, I'm going to go to hell. But then the different guy comes up, and he goes, I forgive you. And actually, it broke the man. The love of God, but, but think about that. What we would normally do, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you did this and I hope this happens to you. You understand when you have a standard of truth, it changes everything. And when that man said, I forgive you, it broke one of the coldest killers out there, changed him. And it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. And you know, I know that that's kind of like going away from our question of right and wrong. But if you're here today, we're gonna be giving you an invitation to accept Jesus as your Lord. And please know, how much he loves you and please know he wants to forgive you and so shortly we'll be given that invitation but um let's just say a few other things this happens when we you know we're talking about the standard of truth that we just saw there in such a great way a man that could forgive in the ugliest circumstance so in hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10 look at this it says for this is the covenant i will make with the house of israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So you could say this, that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, right and wrong are put on the inside of us. We have a deposit of right and wrong because the laws are written in our minds and in our hearts. And then not only that, the Holy Spirit, uh, not only do we have that deposited in us, but we have the spirit of truth in John chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we have truth imparted in us. We have right and wrong imparted in us, but not, it doesn't stop there. We have the teacher of right and wrong that gets on the inside of us, the spirit of truth. So we, when it talks about knowing what right and wrong is, Christians should have an easy time knowing what right and wrong is. Now, if you're with us today and you're young, and I want to just say, you know, wherever the youth are, if you're like, hey, youth, wherever you are, 
I'm calling you out, youth, listen to this right now. You hear a lot of different things at school, and you hear a lot of things that, uh, that probably many things that you hear are not true. And just know that it doesn't matter uh, what anyone says about anything. If it's not true, ignore it. And I really encourage you, young people, to let God and his word be the standard of truth in your life and let him be that standard. So it's so important. So not only then does God put his right and wrong and truth in us, he gives us our very own personal teacher to teach it to us. And then let's talk about the, God, the, the God's love. You know, God's love, we know the Bible says when we get saved, um, his laws are put into us. But not only that, the Holy Spirit, the teacher. But then the Bible also says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God. So you can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and you can read the love chapter. And if you read the love chapter, uh, here's what you find out. You can find out what's right and wrong just by reading that. We find out that love is patient and kind. So what's right? Be patient and kind. When we, when we get impatient and unkind, we know we're, do, we're, we're wrong, and we, we just say, Lord, forgive me. For, and sometimes you gotta say, forgive, to the, forgive me to your wife or husband or whoever you're being impatient and unkind to. Uh, love does not envy or boast. If you start envying somebody, just say, Father, I'm being envious right now. I just thank you that I'm, I'm I just confess, I'm cleansed from that. I'm cleansed from the, that envy. Uh, if you begin to get boastful and brag about yourself, well, we know that's wrong. Love, love shows us and teaches us all these things. It's wrong to be boastful. I choose to be humble. Uh, if you get arrogant, uh, you know, it's right to be humble, not arrogant. So the love, love of God shows us all this. Rude does not insist on its own way. When it's all about me, I'm wrong. It's not all about me. So I don't want to be an all-about-me person. It's about others. It's about other things other than ourselves. Uh, it, love isn't irritable or resentful. Uh, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You can learn so much just by looking at the love chapter and we find out what right and wrong is just by reading that chapter. And then let's talk about this last one really quickly today and that's our conscience. And so uh, something happens when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord. So we said you know, you have the laws of God put in your heart, you have the spirit of truth, uh, you have the love of God, but you also have what the Bible says that your conscience is cleansed from dead works. So there's a cleansing of your conscience. Now you might say, well, what is the conscience? Well, let's first of all look and we'll, we'll try to say what the conscience is here. Let's look at first of all the scripture. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Ghost. So what you see here is that Paul, he went from a Christian killer to this. Amazing. Killing Christians, almost like he had no conscience, and now he doesn't even want to tell a lie. That's what happens when Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and all that, when all of that gets on the inside of us, we don't even want to tell a lie. So he says that, he said, my conscience bears witness in the Holy Ghost then I'm not lying. And you know, uh, we could say this, that his conscience was confirming and assuring him that he was speaking truth and not lies. And how many of us know that if you ever tell a lie, you know it because your conscience tells you you're not telling the truth. 
That's what the conscience does. It helps us. You know, and here, here's just like a little photo thing, like a pic of a consciously right or wrong. Like on the inside of us, that's what the conscience is, like telling this is right and that's wrong. That's, that's what happens, uh, especially when you're born again. Now, you can get your father and mother's voice on the inside and not be a Christian, and good parents put good things into their children, and it actually helps. My mother and father always said, never, never lie. So I always did my best not to lie, except when I went to the confessional. <laughs> and that's where I lied, because I was ashamed of my sins, so I, I lied at the confessional. <laughs> but we always know that when we are telling a lie, it doesn't feel right. But when we tell the truth, we all know it just feels good because our conscience bears witness with that, okay? So, um, so just having the conscience, let's explain it. So the conscience, that's the inward man who is a spirit man and has a voice. So you have your inward man who is the spirit man, and that's that still small voice on the inside of us. And we also call this voice the still small voice. That's... That's what we call it in a different way. All right, so look at one more scripture, Acts 23 and verse 1. This is Paul. He said, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. What we see about Paul is he really strived to follow or obey his conscience as soon as he was saved. So he was really changed and his conscience was a safe guide. So you can ask this question, is my conscience a safe guide? And I would say this for the answer. The answer is if you're a born-again Christian, your conscience is a safe guide because it was cleansed by the blood. You have the Word of God imparted into you. You have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. You have the love of God on the inside of you. Your conscience should be a safe guide if you're a Christian, okay? So today, if you're not a Christian, we want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord. So just in closing today, here's the last thing we want to look at. Because if we're talking about knowing right and wrong, uh, and we're talking about that truth is the standard, look at this scripture here, because this scripture just helps us to value truth. So look what it says. It says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. So here's a few thoughts about that. When it says to buy truth, we should be willing to part with anything for truth. To, to, to whatever it takes to get truth. Whatever we need to part with to get truth. So even if it means to walk away from money, to walk away from natural things, there isn't any price tag too high for truth. It says buy truth. There's no price tag too high for truth. Whatever you pay for truth, it will be worth every single dollar that you would pay for. Truth is the most important thing we can get. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Truth is paramount. It's number one. It's on top. Buy truth and do not sell it. Then it says, when it says do not sell it, that means do not part with it. Buy truth. Like go out of your way. Make sacrifices. You know, sit under the word, whatever. You know, whatever you have to do, buy it. But then it says, don't sell it. In other words, don't belittle it. Don't devalue it. Don't, oh, yeah, I heard that before. 
like buy it and don't sell it. Don't let anything cause you to let go of truth. So we could say this about truth. It's of the highest value, and we should spare no pain, no cost, or sacrifice to obtain it. And when we have it, keep it, and keep it safe. Value it forever. That's how important truth is, to have that standard of truth. So in closing today, and the worship team can come up here, uh, right and wrong isn't gray with God. Right and wrong is very clear with God. It's black and white. He makes it clear to us. So never, never think that there's gray. It's truth. And never be confused otherwise. So Father, I thank you for everyone with us today, Lord. Father, I, I thank you that... Uh, you're so good. Thank you for your mercy. Heavenly Father, I thank you as we saw today, even on a video, how powerful your love and how powerful your forgiveness is. Father, I lift up anyone that would be with us today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. Father, it was very well illustrated today that you're here as a loving Father that will forgive anyone of anything. So, Father, thank you for working on the hearts of anyone with us that would not know Jesus as their Savior. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rain.org.au.